This is Read, Watch, Play. I'm Cleo. I'm Corinne. I'm Justin. And I'm James. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Lost in Translation, directed by Sofia Coppola. So, let's just start with general feelings, as we tend to. Positive, negative, weirded out. I I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I also came out of it kind of like, uh, what? Which I just like feel like is kind of the... the feeling that this film leaves you with, which is just kind of like a, a an ambling trip that brings its characters back to the exact same place that they they were at the beginning. This is kind of one of those things that makes you feel empty inside. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I don't like feeling empty inside. <laughs> I like the movie. I didn't like the way it made me feel, which was bad. <laughs> Arguably the best kinds of movies, I feel like. Well, we do do the Day of Sadness every year. We so. do. It's true. But I'm supposed to get all that out of the way yes. that day. Blame the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's a gorgeous film. That's that's always I I I've seen this movie uh three three times now. Um a couple of times for this, but the first time I saw it I was in like high school and I watched it with my dad. And Kind of in that time, I remembered that I liked it. And I remember kind of the big things that you, you remember about the film, right? You remember the ending. You remember stuff like uh, the kind of the sequence where they, they go out and party, kind of the general gist of like the course of the movie, stuff like that. Right. Like a lot of like kind of the big sort of set piece things and the things that people talk about, et cetera. But I'd forgotten even just how great shots like when um, when Charlotte's sitting up in her room just looking out over the city it's like this one just super extended shot just kind of cutting between well it uh, it's like a i don't think it's one long shot but it's a lot of stuff just looking out the window of this hotel room right with scarlett johansson just sitting on the window ledge and every so often it kind of cuts between them but it's it's quiet there's no dialogue it doesn't like advance the plot in any meaningful way i mean you get some insight into charlotte you see that she's just sitting there she's feeling kind of lost these are all things that you already sort of know about her but it I forgot how great just almost every single shot in the movie is. Just lots of things like that. Even something as simple as just I don't know, them standing in the elevator the first time they see each other, right? And just such that fish out of water feeling. I mean, a lot of it's kind of, it feels like sort of a dumb, like, ah, Japanese people are short, kind of like dumb joke like that, which doesn't always land. But it, I feel like it does do a good job of getting that, like, just feeling like a, a stranger in a strange place, like a place that's not, like this is obviously not home. Right. Cause it's not really meant to be that joke. No, it's, it's really not. just meant to, to demonstrate that feeling and, and yeah. manages to do it pretty effectively. Yeah. And unfortunately one of the ways that they do it visually in the film, a, a handful of times is you can, it, because visually you can see Bill Murray being head and shoulders taller than everyone else in the room, but it does a good job of, of evoking that. And just that I, I feel like there's, I can think of very few even just shots in the movie where that's not being conveyed to you or it's not kind of that explicitly the opposite of sort of finding that little bit of home in someone else who's also a stranger in a strange place. And I, I can't think of any moments off the top of my head where just visually you're not getting either one of those in any shot in the movie. Obviously, that's hyperbole. No one just tell me every single like time code for every shot in the movie where that's not happening. I but it's a lot of it. Yeah. 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 This is one of those, because what year did this first come out? Oh, three. Oh my God. God, that was a while ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it feels like, I don't know. It feels to me like it should be longer. I don't know why it feels older to me. Although that's really old at this point. Yeah. That means I was, yeah, going on 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. So I was like, then like 13 when this came out. And I remember everyone, who was talking, I didn't see it in theaters, I saw it maybe like a year after it came out. Um, and everyone who I talked to said how much they loved the film, and it was like their favorite movie now and stuff, and so I just kept putting off watching it, and then I finally did, and I really hated it at the time. Great. I, think, <laughs> <laughs> I think because, but it was for a few reasons, like, I have a hard time with movies, and especially at that age, I had a hard time with movies where like nothing really happened. And the whole point was just kind of like, oh, 
poor me. I'm in Japan. It's like fantastic country, and I'm like feeling sorry for myself and can't like find things to do. And I, I didn't like the whole like oh Japan is so weird vibe. Like I had issues with that when I first watched it because I just kind of felt I don't know. At that time, I really wanted to go to Japan. I still want to go to Japan. I haven't gone to Japan since then, but. The idea of, like, traveling somewhere pretty fantastic and then just kind of spending that time feeling sorry for yourself kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And I do understand, like, you go somewhere where you haven't been and you don't know a lot of the people and the culture is very different. And it is, like, you know, a culture shock. And that whole feeling of, oh, finding someone else who's kind of going through a similar thing and trying to navigate that world with them. So I, I do enjoy the movie now a little bit more than I did then, but I still, like, I roll my eyes at it still when I watch it. You watched a lot of anime in high school, didn't you? I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I'm also, it might also have something to do with the fact that I am Asian. Yeah. That I have those, like, feelings of, like, why do you think this stuff is so weird, given that Korea is very different from Japan, but still. But it does play on that, like almost trope at this point that like oh japan is wacky and crazy and everything they do is wacky and crazy and it's like it it definitely overplays that to a to a certain extent like i can understand being somebody who is more or less forced to go to japan and doesn't want to be there is is all the more likely to have those kinds of feelings especially when they're like there it happens at a time when both of them are in the middle of like essentially existential crises about their own lives yeah um but it still could have it could have been done without that aspect of it. All of the other stuff aside. It's funny because like, oh God, I can't believe it came out that long ago. I thought it was going to be more like 10 years ago. But how old was Scarlett Johansson at that time? She must have been pretty young. And Yeah, I want to say idea- she, she was like 20, between 22 and 24. And her character was supposed to have been married for like a couple of years, right? Or yeah, like the whole thing was that they had gotten married pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. She was young, but she wasn't eight-legged freaks young. Oh, God, she was in that. She was in that. Fun fact, everyone. Scarlett Johansson is in Eight-Legged Freaks. I know what our next movie is going to (laughs) be. I am. Oh, no. She was like, wow, I thought she was a little older than she is. She was like 18, 19 in that movie. Really? Lost in Translation or Eight-Legged Freaks? Lost in Translation. (laughs) (laughs) No, Eight-Legged Freaks. So she got married when she was 16. I'm pretty sure she's like 16. I mean, they might have been pretty freshly married. I think I recall them saying something about like two years. I thought was the, or at least that was in my, what was in my head, and I was looking out for that. She might have also been playing older, older because yeah. doing the whole like Jennifer Lawrence thing, playing like older people when yeah. they're really like two years old. <laughs> I, quite a quite a feat. No wonder. <laughs> I think it's fitting that we're covering Lost in Translation right after we did Wind Up Bird Chronicle because the whole like oh Japan is weird kind of thing even though i mean wind up chronicle obviously written by actual japanese person but yeah we talked briefly about kind of westerners take or attraction to murakami's books right yeah yeah it's i i think that you put it really well when you were talking about the fact that it's like it coming at it now when you're older you can see that like sort of like what they were going for but it really is kind of a shame that no matter in order to tell that story of feeling like you're out of place somewhere that you don't necessarily want to be you need to be somewhere and honestly most of the world is awesome like in from just like a traveling perspective right there are very few places that you could go i feel like where you would end up like it short of the middle of literally like a battlefield right but we could go there and just be like oh this is stupid there's nothing here this culture sucks like any like, like there's no place where you could go where it would just be like, oh yeah, like a stranger in a strange world, and everyone's going to like see that and immediately agree that wherever you are wouldn't be like a super cool place to be for like two weeks to just see and explore. Yeah, for sure. I think the word we're kind of dancing around here is othering. Yeah. There's a lot of othering in the movie of Japan and its culture. Yeah. So that is the word. Yeah. Not a word I knew. Oh. Well, James learned something today. We should have like a sound effect for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to dig something up. We'll, we'll find something. Something like light comments. and airy, maybe with some chimes. Yeah, I'll try to find my chime collection. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it really is. I. Can but anyone... it's like this movie. Um, but it is like James is saying. Like this movie could not happen anywhere else without the culture in the place that is being set being othered. Like yeah. it is the yeah. only way that this movie works. Yeah, and I wonder, and I think that they do. In some of those moments, right, where we're 
uh, Bob and Charlotte do kind of get out and see Japan. I mean, Charlotte does a lot of going out and appreciating how awesome and cool the place is as she's trying to, like, figure her own shit out. Yeah, like all the stuff with her in Kyoto, right? She's just, like, looking around at how awesome Kyoto is. Yeah, exactly. And things. And when they, they go out and they party that one night with, with Charlie Brown and they're going out and it's a lot of it is a lot of like oh how like wacky and goofy but instead of it being like kind of ugh and dismissive it's like oh but if you can get into that and just open yourself up to being in this other place it's really cool and again it pointed the movie but well i think i think that uh bob and charlotte kind of approach it differently like charlotte seems to be approaching it from a I'm lonely and I wish I wasn't here alone because all of this stuff is really cool and I want to experience it, but I don't quite know how to connect with anyone else here or anything, you know, quite the way I want to. Whereas Bob is just like, this is all too much. I can't handle this. Like, I don't want to be here. Everything is weird. You know, I don't like it. So I feel like they're coming at it from very different perspectives. For sure. Yeah. I think also one of the issues that I had originally when watching this, and I still kind of have, but I have a new perspective on it now, was that none of the Japanese characters really felt like fully fleshed out characters. They just kind of felt like, oh, here's like another scene with a weird person. And it's like kind of mostly the white people who are presented as, you know, characters who have arcs. But now that I'm kind of thinking back on the movie again, I'm starting to wonder whether there aren't really any other characters other than Charlotte and Bob. There, there really aren't like, yeah. Yeah. like the other characters are just set pieces. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But and that's the like I feel like the the effect of of informing isolation in the viewer by not providing translation for any of the Japanese is something that they absolutely wanted to do and would not want to give up, which I completely understand. But it also essentially prov- like prevented them from fleshing out any of the Japanese characters without directly connecting one of the main characters with them, right? Because you could have you could have somebody who does speak more English and does interact with them more and would be able to do that, but it would it would end up detracting from the relationship they were forming but between these two people. Uh, and I think on top of that, I mean it's it's in the name of the movie, right? Where you kind of get the sense that there are, all these other people are people right there are people with lives and arcs and things like that but just bob and charlotte don't have any real way of appreciating that like and you get like little bits of that again not not certainly not enough to be like a proper character arc with people like charlie brown when they go out and they're partying but it those those characters get lost in translation right like that's it's that that otherness that it's different and distinct and it's hard to it's hard for them to understand it's I mean, we were looking this up right as we were coming in with that whole scene with the director and the translator doing the the Suntory commercial. Right. Where And we realized that none of us had actually like looked up the actual text of what the director says because clearly the translation that the translator gives is not everything that he says. Um, yeah, and it's got... It's this whole... like it, it feels like good direction, right? He's talking about being bogey in Casablanca. It's like, oh yeah, and say it like, here's looking at you, kid. And the translation is just like... Uh, look into the camera and more intensity. Somebody really should have fired that translator. Like that's <laughs> really like this. This whole movie could have been fixed if some, if they'd gotten a different translator. Yeah, right. <laughs> None of these things would have happened. You know, would have been fine. Bob would have felt like he knew what he was doing, as opposed to just flailing aimlessly and hoping that they got a good commercial out of it. Yeah. Yeah, that would have changed the tone for the entire rest of the film. He would have felt more confident coming back from that. Maybe wouldn't have just been like a sad sack at the bar. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, like I think that that's that's the thing though, right? Where it's there, there is this whole like culture and thought process and all this stuff, and it's just not. It's not that it's not there. It's just not coming across. And again, it is kind of awkward that in order to do a really good job of that, right, the movie has to fuck up telling you that. Yeah. Because that's the point. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I don't want to speak to what the point is, but I did, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck all y'all. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I took from it, at least. Speaking of things that kind of set the tone for the movie in general, <laughs> there's so, this is fucking film school Cleo talking right now. 
um, I can't kill her because she keeps coming back. But it's always like gr- just like punched into our brains how important the opening shot of any movie is for like establishing basically everything about what the movie's gonna be like, what the tone is, etc. It's like opening shot and closing shot. Those are your bookends. They like are supposed to tie everything together. Do you guys remember what the opening shot of this movie is? I don't. No. No. It's Scarlett Johansson's butt. Oh. It lingers there for like a very long time. Like it's ScarJo's butt wearing like nothing but pink kind of see-through underwear and it just kind of like stays there for a while and i don't know what it means for this movie <laughs> that's yeah, this movie... especially because she's like like there's there is a like a, a, a definitely like a sexual tension to the relationship at points but they're like she is n- very far from like a, a sex object in this movie i feel like anyway so the idea that that's like the establishment of her character is almost counterintuitive to what the movie ends up doing. This movie has very, very little to do with Scarlett Johansson's butt. Yeah, so that yeah. I was kind of like... What? So now when I... Yeah, I was looking back and I was kind of, okay, what does this mean? What? Why? Why? I just want to know why. What does that achieve? Well, especially juxtaposed with the fact that the last shot is Godzilla destroying the city. <laughs> Excuse me, we are not past the spoiler break. Oh, sorry. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> So just I don't know. Reflect on that. I don't. I don't have an answer. I don't, I don't have a theory. I don't think any of us have an answer for that. Yeah. Geez. It's just opening credits on Scarjo's butt. And like I can understand if it was like it's just the position of it though. It's like I don't. I didn't mean for this to become such a thing. But if it would be different if it was her kind of because she's lying in bed and but if she it's kind of so fo- you don't even see her head you don't see her face or anything think if it was a, like a different angle that showed like a complete body it'd be like but oh, it was she's focused l- but yeah. like her butt was in the center like maybe that would be different but like it's literally just her butt for 30 seconds because like otherwise i would say oh it's about it's because it's showing her lounging around in her underwear because she doesn't want to leave the hotel room and she just like doesn't know what to do so she's doing the thing that people do at home when they don't know what to do which is lounging around in their fucking underwear but this is kind of like nah we're just gonna uh she might be sleeping but we're just gonna look at her butt for a while maybe sofia coppola is trying to tell us something that has nothing to do with the movie (laughs) i mean scarlett johansson does have a great butt but Maybe Sophia also has some uh, some inclinations. <laughs> it's okay. You can tell us now, Sophia. I just want to know why, but not that badly. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. Okay. I have a question. Is there a reason to have a spoiler break for this movie? Because as Cleo pointed out, nothing really happens. Yeah. I mean, it's you. the, you, the characters start in a place. Spoiler alert. Nothing happens. <laughs> and then they have this journey. And then they end up in the same place because, at the end. Because the journey didn't really happen. Because they, I mean, the journey implies that people changed. Really, I don't think either of them really changed. They like met each other. And they, then... I mean, they had this experience. They had the opportunity to change. Like the two of them. I mean, they, they could have. Like I don't. know. But what could they have done? Right? There's. There Charlotte are people found who out say... she was capable of falling in love with a man thirty-five years older than her. Right. So. Uh... This is going to be the de facto ad break for our Lost in Translation episode. Uh, coming up after this one will be Gone Home, and then our topic for this, Solitude. And then for our next series, we are going to be doing Existential Horror? Psychological Horror. For our next series, we are going to be doing Psychological Horror. We're going to be reading The Shining, watching Jacob's Ladder, and playing The Evil Within. Yes. So definitely come back for that. I'm going to be scared shitless. I'm going to get through maybe half of this stuff. So tune in to figure out what those are. Uh, Until then, spoiler break, I suppose, for Lost in Translation. (laughs) Non-spoiler break. Before we dive into spoiler territory, we're going to have our brief summary section so we can get a refresher on what minimal plot there is in this movie. Lost in Translation's two central characters are, well, first of all, Charlotte, a recent college graduate who is having second thoughts about her marriage to John, a photographer whose job has sent them to Tokyo temporarily. The other character is Bob Harris, a famous American actor who is in Tokyo to shoot a commercial for Suntory Whiskey. Both of them feel disconnected from their surroundings and are having a hard time adjusting to life in Japan. Charlotte, for instance, feels that she no longer knows her husband, and Bob is made to feel incredibly awkward during his commercial shoot when the translator fails to properly communicate what it is the director actually wants him to do. 
Charlotte and Bob catch glimpses of each other in the hotel they're both staying in, but finally have an actual conversation when they both find themselves in the bar hotel due to insomnia. They bond over their shared feelings of being out of place and begin to explore Tokyo together by going out at night with Charlotte's friends. Their companionship allows them to enjoy and appreciate the city more, and as they grow closer, they share their anxieties about their lives and marriage troubles. Steadily, their friendship takes on a romantic element, though neither of them really act on it. Shortly before Bob is supposed to return to the U.S., he ends up sleeping with the jazz singer from the hotel bar, and when Charlotte discovers this, it leads to a tense lunch during which Bob and Charlotte have a kind of passive-aggressive argument. That same night, however, a fire alarm forces Bob and Charlotte into the same space again, and they confess that they will both miss each other when Bob leaves. The next morning, Bob says goodbye to Charlotte before leaving for the airport, but while in the taxi, he sees her walking down a nearby street, and he asks the driver to stop the car. Charlotte and Bob hug, and he whispers something in her ear that is a mystery to the audience. They kiss, and then say goodbye one final time before Bob returns to his taxi and leaves. Uh, so... Anyway. Alright, yes. Spoiler break. Okay, now, spoilers. Yeah, nothing... We're not having a spoiler break. No. Just listen to this whole damn episode. All right. If you haven't seen the movie, stop now and and go watch the movie. So since we have a summary somewhere back there, probably. Yeah, wasn't it great? I don't know. So good. We could probably... Good job, Cleo. Good job. (laughs) I do my best. Um... All right, if we're going to, like, might as well just skip right to the end, because I have a question for everyone. Sure, which I'm it. sure is, like, the main question everyone already has about Here this movie. Is. Which is, what do you guys think Bob said to uh, Charlotte in that God, last I spent scene? two hours digging through all of the stuff that people have been doing to try and figure out what the whisper is. The whisper is probably my favorite thing about this movie. Because nobody knows what it, nobody actually knows what it is, except for Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. It's, the scene was improvised. the 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 way it was written was that he was supposed to see her. He wasn't. I don't even think he was supposed to see her in the crowd. He was supposed to just be in the cab and be sad, and the movie was going to end. And Bill came up with this, and they ran with it, and the whole thing was improvised. And he may have had something in mind for the whisper, or he may not have. But that what nobody nobody knows it, but Bill and Scarlett. How much you want to bet that both of them have forgotten it by now? Also, so now nobody knows. I would, I would bet money that that at least one of them probably remembers it. Isn't it the nuclear codes for Godzilla? <laughs> I feel like we all watched really different movies. I'm starting to think so. You Brian, might have, you might have gotten a bootleg version, James. Brian Cranston was in this one. <laughs> yeah, we have to talk. It wasn't as good as the originals. Um, I and I spent all that time digging around, but it was a while ago, and I already don't remember what people were saying. There were people who like who like broke down the audio and would like try to like adjust everything to figure out what was being said. But it's pretty useless. You can't hear. Yeah, you really can't. You just people are just grabbing in the dark. Um, but I think it's I think it's something along the line. Like a lot of people think that he tells her that he loves her. But no. that they can't be together, and I think that's dumb. That's bullshit. Um, <laughs> I think I buy into the the theory that he tells her that in order to be happy, she needs to be like she needs to be honest with her husband and tell her everything that she's been feeling that that he now understands, and that's the only way she's going to be like a complete person. Obviously, not all of that, but. What if he just says something that's like really Bill Murray to her? Like, I mean, yeah, he probably, I'm just imagining. He just leans like, into her ear and says, "No one will believe you." <laughs> <laughs> that's someone's theory. That doesn't surprise me. I don't know. See, I, I have a really hard time. Like, I it, first of all, I'm absolutely from the standpoint where it's it the the point of it is that you don't know, so it's not necessarily that it matters. It's that he goes right, and he says course. something to her, right? Which I mean, we could obviously we can all agree on, but I I feel like I stand more on that side than than most people where it comes to. I'm not going to try and figure out what it was because I don't think there's something to figure out, right? There's not like a line that was written. It's realistically, it's Bill Murray just went up and like moved his mouth some. But the big thing though is whenever I see people talking about it, I feel like the one thing that is most consistent is that Bob comes up and says something like smart or important or meaningful to Charlotte. And that's the thing that I have the hardest time getting on board with. It seems so much more likely that he goes up and says something like, thoughtful or like trying to be sweet or nice but that ultimately it's empty yeah right it's the kind of thing that i feel like most people would say there right it who sees someone like out of the back of a cab and you just need to talk to them because you have the best thing ever to say to them 
it's so much more likely that you just went and did this big kind of crazy impulsive thing to say something that looking back you're gonna think like man like i wish i'd I wish I had said something of more substance in that moment, right? It's it's so it seems so much more like to be something that he thought up on on the run to her, as opposed to something that he just had and he had from the night before and he just wished that he'd said. I I feel like that's where I end up falling on is that it's it's way less likely to be something like big and meaningful and do this and you're gonna be okay kind of a thing, and so much more likely to be like it's some expression of affection or something like that that's not necessarily profound it's something that he just wanted to see her again maybe it was here's looking at you kid and he actually got to bogart in the end yeah (laughs) i i think part of it for me is that i probably come at it from like too much of a self-insertion angle in that particular moment and like knowing what i would end up doing in that situation is that i would have spent probably that entire cab ride thinking about what i would have said or what i should have said and then i'm suddenly presented with the opportunity to say the thing that I have now settled on, I probably should have said, and that's what I'm doing. Or maybe it's like what we said in the prestige episode. And he just says, by repairable. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of hope it was actually like advice from Bill Murray to Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Like career advice. Yeah. Like just career advice. (laughs) Never work with Sophia again. (laughs) (laughs) The opening shot is going to be of your butt. <laughs> I always forget that Anna Ferris is in this movie. And yeah. Until she shows up. She's kind of, I don't know, it's like, it's like kind of a random, it's like, um, oh God, what's Charlotte's husband's John? John. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like kind of like John's friend slash probably like fling from a while ago. Right. Yeah. And she's a, she's an she's actress? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. In some like... It made it Garbage seem like she was blockbuster. It at first I thought she was just like a publicist or PR for the movie, but then that got like flipped around when you actually see her on the panel. Yeah, I love Anna Ferris. I'm just I love Anna Ferris. She's a very smart actress. She plays dumb so well. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> That's it. That's all. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> That's just even such like a great. I, I guess it's a scene, but just like when when Charlotte's going by and she sees the panel, yeah, and it's her giving just like something like dumb saccharine answer, just like it's something that's just so like just feels so like canned and hollow. Yeah, she's talking she, about like working with Keanu Reeves. Yeah, exactly, and that they're so close because like he has a dog and I have a dog, and yeah. so we're like you know the same person, or whatever. As Charlotte's going through just like the most, just like deep questioning period it seems in her life so far she's just trying to figure out like who she is how to really connect to people at all yeah exactly and it's like oh we just both have dogs and we connect that yeah this makes so much sense i feel like on the spectrum of characters in this movie i'm much closer to anna ferris's character i'm like you have a dog all right we're best friends now (laughs) and i love japan i don't feel bad about being here i'm just really happy to be here and i sing horrible karaoke that was a scene with her right where she's like singing in the lounge but I mean, if yeah. if Tinder is anything to go by, that's like ninety percent of the women in New York. So, terrible karaoke, loves dogs, wants to travel. God, <laughs> <laughs> took a hard turn into. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something else you were dealing with. <laughs> no, it was just I was. Uh, this is a, a complete aside that we can cut. But I was like swiping through Tinder with a friend the other night, and like it was literally every two out of every three profiles we would have would be those things it's like i'm swiping right for your dog i love to travel and like karaoke came up less often for sure it was very rarely mentioned but it's like those are just always there weird it's it's the thing it's like everybody uh, it, it doesn't matter yeah. it's just like everybody in LA likes hiking it's like everyone on okacupid has a skydiving picture Everybody on Tinder has those fucking tiger pictures. Tiger pictures? Yeah. There's this epidemic of people that are like taking pictures with tranquilized tigers. Oh my god, that's horrible. What? Yes. I don't like this. They like they they, they like go places, safaris or or like animal sanctuaries or whatever, where they have the ability to go into a tiger cage because like they will trank the tiger so that it's asleep or or pacified so that the person can go get close to it and get a picture with it. This is not the future I want to live in. Yeah. They're everywhere. That's really 
alert. Right? It's like I immediately like ignore these profiles. I was, I was like, gonna say, why would anybody do this? This is terrible. That sounds like it makes Tinder really easy. <laughs> Just like, oh, is there like a kind of dead looking tiger in this picture? Yeah, no, thank no. you. Ignoring yeah, that. there we go. Well, speaking of autobiographical things, I was kind of curious, like, do you guys relate to this movie at all based on any kind of travel experiences you've had abroad where you felt a little bit out of place or, you know? I have never left this country. Have you been to another state where you were like, what the fuck is going on in this state? Not long enough. Nebraska. <laughs> I was, yeah, if any, anywhere <laughs> in this country you could go and be like, what? It's Nebraska. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, I would say it, I've, I, I've done actually kind of a lot of traveling with like with my family and my dad, whatever. But I honestly, the place where I've felt this way more was going to high school. Um, I, I changed schools for high school and stuff like that. And it was, I, I didn't really know anybody. I had to go to like summer school before that. So I knew like a few people from that. But as soon as that happened, right, all those people who were like, oh yeah, we were, we were tight when we were all at summer school. Yeah. They all had like friends already. Right. Um, so it was me and like kind of a handful of the, the other n- new kids and it was a lot of stuff like that, right? Where we kind of got to know each other because we were those people who were in a place where everyone else had gone to, like, I feel like a huge percentage of those people had been together since nursery school, right? It And so we came in late and it was, it was a lot of that where it was, you would really, the new kids did a lot of hanging out with the new kids because everyone else was seeing each other again. I remember that we had this big, like, um, they did like a, like a retreat thing. You kind of went out for like one day to someplace out in like kind of the woods out in Illinois uh, for like team building stuff. And the idea was, you know, so you'd get to know the new kids would get to know the returners, which is a terrible idea because it was it was before the beginning of school. So all the returners had like not seen each other over the summer. So all anyone wanted to do was get super clicky and hang out and talk about what they did over the summer with their friends. And all that it did was just super double down on. Yeah, you don't have anyone to talk about your summer with. It was it was a lot of that. And. I feel like, yeah, I've never had this kind of feeling when I've actually been traveling or outside the country or anything like that. It's a lot easier for me in a place like that. You can just go in and see stuff and do stuff and eat stuff. And Have you ever traveled by yourself? Just me alone? Yeah. Not outside the country. Because I think that's a large, I, I, like, I feel like that's a big part of it. And it's also something that's very rare. Not many people travel by themselves. Like, Well, I've done things where I've spent, say, entire days or, like, multiple days by myself in other countries, but I've never done the entire trip by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done stuff, again, like, inside the U.S. by myself. Um, I, 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 was, I was in uh, Barcelona with my dad, and he was there on business, and we had, like, a, like, space in the hotel room, right? So we could just get, like, one more plane ticket, and then basically that's the entire trip for, like, me paid for. So, right. like, I was able to get to go and do stuff like that. And so when he would have to work... I would spend those days just wandering around Barcelona by myself. And I guess it ended up being a lot closer to like what Charlotte was doing, except without like the crushing existential angst. Um, That's but, good. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so I feel like that was, that's the bigger place where I feel like I've had that feeling of just kind of strange person in a place where like everyone else is kind of on one page and you're just not there yet. And it takes a little while to figure out, like, why that's, like, a good, great place to be. Like, now, in hindsight, I love my high school. But, yeah, like, those first, like, and God, that first year, even. That was a long first year of, like, getting to know people. Corinne? Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, I don't, I would never travel by myself because if I was left to my own devices, I would prefer to just stay at home and play video games. So, you know, my personal vacation would be a staycation, and I had no inclination to go anywhere without other people. That aside, I have felt uh, I have felt that before when I went to visit extended family with my mom and sister in uh, Virginia. Um, oh yes, the exotic land of Virginia, <laughs> where I currently well, reside. Okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm very gay, and I look very gay, and um, I also do not look at all traditionally feminine. So I felt like a like a beacon of things that more religious, more Southern people would probably frown upon. And I, I couldn't help carrying that with me pretty much the entire time I was there. Um, my, my family itself, like all the members of my extended family were all like really great. I, you know, if they thought anything poorly of me, 
they didn't say anything. I didn't get a vibe from them. Um, but there was one time where we had driven to look at some something like a we went somewhere and there was a more traditionally like southern lady who was very very like down on the down low like judgy i could just i could feel it and the entire time i was there i was just like oh boy oh boy i feel real real obvious right now my gay sinner self (laughs) what part of virginia were was this in uh i god i don't even remember like more southern i'm guessing yeah yeah this was a couple years ago um so i don't know it was just you know virginia's not super super southern but it's pretty southern especially southern especially when you have lived in the northeast your entire life um yeah i mean compared to where we are recording from in yeah (laughs) in brooklyn new york yeah uh so so yeah i felt i felt very disconnected from pretty much everybody there whether that was warranted or not um i you know my the disconnect was probably more in my own head than it was an actual you know than i was actually being looked down upon or judged or ostracized in any sort of way but you know i can't help feeling that way around certain types of people yeah yeah i i don't think that's on you (laughs) yeah i might have i felt a little bit like kind of out of place in singapore for a while because i was there for three weeks back in like 2012 because my mom was similar to ooh, it was similar to your situation james where i was my mom was on business there and i just like tagged along and so days i just like spent on my own it's a great way to see the world yeah and it was really it was really and singapore is like you can it's a fucking small place like you could it takes like two seconds to travel the entire area um but it, it was really weird being like a biracial asian person there because i mean it's, it's like there's there's some amount of diversity but it's also like fairly segregated in a lot of ways but it's weird being a not kind of not real asian person but real asian person in an asian place when you're re- used to being a not real white person in a white place when you're you know what i mean being biracial in other words um where it's like i don't know it's like hard to try to figure out where you fit in to this in the situation and also kind of similar to ukraine with like extended family sometimes especially with the koreans or with either side again probably because of the biracial aspect they always like there's a tendency to like think of you as whatever the thing that they aren't yeah like i just remember (laughs) at my grandmother's uh 90th birthday party in austin texas um there was like there were were, that whole side of the family is a big part of like the uh, Polish community because my stepmother is half Polish and so all the Polish people in Austin all of all all of Austin all the Polish people in the entire city came basically that was my impression at least because the house was full of Polish people and (laughs) they were looking at me like they didn't quite know like they they weren't sure if I was supposed to be like the babysitter because I don't look like my siblings Mm -hmm. and I was asked my dad like is there a Polish tradition it's gonna sound racist, but I can say it because they were being racist. Is there a Polish <laughs> tradition of like burning the firstborn from a previous marriage alive or something? Because they're all looking at me like they want to do that, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, it was like one of those weird moments where no one knew what to make of the other, yeah. and so I hid in the bathroom for a lot of that party. As a Polish quarter Korean person myself, I excuse everything you just said. <laughs> so there we go. You're clear. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> God, that um, couldn't have been more perfect. <laughs> oh, oh, that was good. <laughs> I feel like just that moment of catharsis has got to be just, that's got to be the best thing we've ever done collectively as a group. <laughs> I take partial credit for that. <laughs> oh, wow. Justin, what about you? Just like for like life wise, not necessarily travel wise. But How like Korean are you, Justin? Yeah. <laughs> come here. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah. Open with your percentage Korean and your percentage Polish. <laughs> the closest I probably get was moving into our new neighborhood because uh-huh. we moved into like a ninety-eight percent black, two percent anything but white neighborhood, and so it is this kind of thing where it's like 
the the rare instance of being white but being the other in a place it's like being constantly aware of the fact that i am very clearly set out from the people that i'm around and that like everybody looks at me like i have two heads all the time because i'm in this place where i like you know uh, according to them don't necessarily belong well according to me i don't think we really belong there either but no i mean the according, apartment's yeah. great so <laughs> yeah i mean we we are the maybe the beginning of gentrification and nobody Ooh. wants uh nobody wants that <laughs> the bad <to> kind <laughs> uh, think about that 10 years from now when that neighborhood's awful you'll get to look back and just be like ah yes this was our doing these pink berries <laughs> these are our children <laughs> oh god of all things pink berries yikes yikes <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. God, now I'm just imagining. I feel that that would be hilarious. Where someone's just really proud to be that first wave of gentrification. Uh, they go back to a neighborhood ten years later and they see just how gentrified it's become, and they go back and just look on it with pride and a tear in their look eye. What we've done, so proud. Oh, There's God. a Lululemon here now. I think oddly, maybe. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in a lot of ways between um, Tokyo and New York just in like the overwhelming like the population for one sure, also for just sure. like there's a lot just like sensory overload i definitely when i even now i mean i was gonna say first when i first came to new york for school i definitely kind of felt similarly to how charlotte probably did in the movie but i think i still kind of feel that way a lot of the times in new york just kind of like wandering around just like overwhelmed not really sure if i'm blending in enough or blending in too much and you know, trying to navigate this place that probably I should like have a grip on by now. Currently in the middle of an existential crisis. I think you're really just describing like your general state, state of existence. <laughs> existence. <laughs> I don't. I don't walk around like Northern Virginia being like, "Do I fit in here?" I'm like, "There's nobody here, and there's like one Seven Eleven, and then a bunch of suburban houses." I'm gonna go back inside and cry. But the existential crisis party just keeps on rolling. <laughs> But no, I think that's an apt comparison, though, right? I mean, like, it's there's there's a difference in in scale, right? But there is a similarity to wandering around, say, Times Square versus, say, the Ginza. Like, it's it's not the same number of people, right? There's there are objectively more people at the Ginza in Japan. But that kind of like just light and sound that that sensory overload that you're talking about, yeah, like it's there are definitely two of those places in the world where you can you can get that on on that scale. Um, and I can say I, I've been to London, I've been to Paris, and it's not it's not the same thing. It's there'll be a lot of stuff and a lot going on. You can be in like big exciting areas, but it's not that same kind of just I don't know, just being surrounded on all sides by light and sound and people and where you could genuinely have no real sense of what time of day it is short of looking directly up because everything at your level is equally as well lit at noon as it is at midnight and you're just like surrounded as this cacophony of just stuff and light and life and people and yeah no i think that's a totally apt comparison and then you can get the same thing where you can just go from that and then you could pull into something like central park or wayno park or i mean here in uh prospect park all kinds of stuff like that and you can go and then you just find those little kind of quiet pockets of I don't know, nature or greenery and you totally forget that three blocks away is a skyscraper it's yeah no i think that comparison of tokyo to new york is absolutely apt even with like pastimes and ways to entertain yourself i mean they show people i mean they they go to karaoke right and it's like a kind of weird looking fancy karaoke place or not fancy but just kind of like effort was put into how that karaoke bar looked how many stories up were they because it seemed like they were in a skyscraper yeah they were distractingly high up like i would have been somewhat distracted by that had i been in that party <laughs> bonus I mean, points if all the songs are about like flying or being high up in the air don't do drugs kids or like something that would emphasize how high up they were but no, I, I think it's it's something that my dad likes to say a lot about about Tokyo, and I think that uh, he would cite it as a quote from from someone else, but I don't remember that far back in the chain. But the idea that Tokyo being like a, a city of interiors, 
where you, you do you walk around a lot, but just the, by by sheer merit of the number of people, a lot of those buildings need to be very utilitarian, right? Where you need to be able to pack the most people into that space just to create a city. And you can look at the percentage, like some some absurd amount percentage of the population of Japan lives in Tokyo. Like just a an astronomically high percent. But so it's the kind of thing where on the outside, a lot of the buildings need to be very utilitarian and make like very good use of space and stuff like that. And I think that's why you get stuff like that, where you get those just phenomenally high up because you walk into these buildings and you can be just immediately transported, right? Because people will take those occasionally very bland exteriors and make very exciting, interesting, like it feels like stepping just between worlds sometimes. You can go, you can walk out of say a very modern, let's say a store and step right into a very traditional restaurant and then back out and into effectively like a junk shop and just be three totally different places all like in the same building but yeah we're things like that where it's again i guess it's that similar sense of being one thing on the outside and another thing on the inside and kind of needing to get to that really exciting stuff on the inside and having a a hard time doing that but you know because you would never just stumble into a karaoke bar right that is like 40 stories up like you wouldn't just be like casually passing and see the windows like oh that sounds fun <laughs> like no right that's not gonna happen that's that kind of thing that's the kind of like insider stuff right where when they're wandering around with charlie brown and he knows a place right because he's there he's in it he's he's their better translator for the night for the city and the culture as opposed to that shitty translator at the shoot who takes like this very explicit direction and is just like uh look at the camera please and i guess the frustration that comes out of that but yeah like it's i don't know 10 10 percent. 10 percent of the population of japan lives in tokyo that's huge it's, wow yeah according to tokyotopguide.com <laughs> with a dash between every word sounds legit yeah. but and i mean that's like you know like for as of 2013 right like the u.s has about 350 million people yeah right and new york has eight and a half million people living inside of it so like yeah 0.02 percent of the u.s population lives in new york one of the most populous cities and also the united states is bigger than japan yes by yeah. a little bit at least and i mean japan is also largely rural outside of tokyo I feel like I had something I wanted to bring up, but who knows? We kind of ticked all my boxes. Yeah. I'm glad we've gotten to talk about Charlie Brown as much as we did, because he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. I figured when you put him on the on our notes list. I always mainly to make sure I remembered, yeah, to bring up, like, I don't know, I, I, I love that, it not scene, but that sequence, right? Just when they're going around with him, and it feels like that's, like... Like, piss off the one bartender and get chased out. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, did anybody else feel really uncomfortable about them running around with fake guns on the street and pointing them at people? 2003 was a different time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like, How weird is that, I was right? just like, I was just like, oh my god, this is this is so controversial, or at least it feels <laughs> like it should be. It Jesus. would be today. Yeah. For sure. That was... I don't remember Japan's gun laws, though. Like, I... There might even be, like, a whole nother layer to that that we're missing. Uh, I'm pretty certain from what I've, uh, I am partially certain that they're pretty strict. I thought uh, so too. Requiring yeah. um, regular, like, recertification that you are permitted under their different laws and stuff that you are allowed to have it. Yeah. Um, also, like, mental health background checks and stuff like that. So, I don't know, maybe... Maybe they're so stringent that anyone who sees somebody with a gun on the street just assumes it's a toy. What I want to know is what is the life like of that lounge singer who just sings that lounge every day? The one who... The one who sleeps with Bob? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what's her deal? What's her life story? Why is she there? I want answers. <laughs> they have, like, what? Don't they have, like, a very, very brief conversation at the bar before we cut to the hotel room? Yeah. Pretty much. We have no yeah. idea, like, who she is. Yeah. Doesn't she have an accent? Is she Irish? I, I thought so. I don't remember. Could be, though. She's a redhead, and I'm pretty sure she was Irish. Or are we just remembering the curly red hair, and we're like, yep, she's Irish? I don't know. She definitely had an accent, though. No, I think she was she was Irish. Yeah. She was some kind of... 
Irish. <laughs> some kind kinda of Irish. Irish. Some kind of Irish. Great. <laughs> I was going to say some kind of like United Kingdom there, but I'm pretty sure it was Irish. Of all the things some we've said today person. about Japanese people, about black neighborhoods, the most offensive thing we've said is about the Irish. Good job. <laughs> I've got Irish blood. I've got a lot of Irish blood in me, so I've recovered. It's okay. fine. Enough that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no. It's... Yeah, this is going to be the episode that tanks us. <laughs> yeah, here it is. We're getting delisted, folks. What marginal success we've managed to achieve. I feel is... like we may have reached a wrap-up point yeah, here. Yeah, like, does anybody else really have anything to talk about? We We really didn't. We spoke very little about the film. We right, re- we spoke but... a lot more about what the yeah. film made us think and feel about general experiences which i feel like is totally valid especially for a film in which nothing happens yeah because if we were like analyzing various scenes it's like oh they go to the hospital because her toe gets injured i like the hospital scene it was cute i agree and that's all that i really have to say about it that's actually my worst fear about traveling is like getting injured or sick and having to go to the hospital because when i was in bulgaria i got violently violently ill and i was like i'm going to end up dying here because like I'm not going to be able to, like, understand what to do in a hospital or communicate with people. Yep. And I saw their hospital up in the mountains of Bulgaria, and I thought it was abandoned. And then I saw people in the windows. I was like, that is a functional hospital. And then you just thought it was haunted. Not not people outside or working or doing anything. People in the windows. Like, patients. Or maybe it was haunted. Maybe it was. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, everything you're describing sounds haunted to me. Bulgaria. In the mountains in Kopripsitsa or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, haunted as That's fuck. That's not how I want to die. <laughs> but I didn't, so it's all right. Yeah. And here we are. I'm pretty sure any hospital in Tokyo would probably be better equipped to handle that. Yeah, but no, that makes sense, right? Like, I could totally see that being... I think that that's, that's actually one of the cool things about the scene. I hadn't really thought about that before. But it takes, I think, what is totally a reasonable fear, right? That you're... Like, let's start from this assumption, right? You're a stranger in a strange land. You don't speak the language. You have no real way of communicating. Honestly, it can be hard enough to communicate with, like, medical staff at an English-speaking hospital in America. And then, but to have to do that in a place where you just have no context where the whole point of the movie in which you are a character is that you have no context and then it takes all of i think that totally reasonable fear just turns it on its head right and it's one of the the really early just kind of like goofy freewheeling scenes with them where they're playing with the wheelchair it's it's that point right where bob is just like no like yeah there are rules here but fuck it I'm just going to take this wheelchair from someone else who's just like gotten up and left and I'm just going to wheel wheel her around and just kind of being sort of flippant with the doctors and the staff and that it's it's all it's all okay. But yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way before. But yeah, that totally could be just one of the worst possible fears. Is there anything else anyone wants to say? Like any scenes we particularly liked or anything else to say about this movie in general? And well, we didn't really get in too much to Charlotte's relationship with her husband and the fact that like, I mean, like the reasons why they they feel kind of estranged from one another. I, I don't know how much there's I feel like that's one of the the parts I guess is just like the most the most clear right you can or uh, Bob's relationship with with his wife right where I feel like both of those it's you get pretty it's well just it like feels, taking it face value yeah. pretty yeah much. it feels more like it's it's background for why they are having that connection with each other but still I mean was was there anything that anyone wanted to to get into there it did feel kind of generic to me it's like oh yeah we're having we're feeling distant but it's never explicitly or even subtly really stated like oh because like this event happened or like because we're having these personality differences kind of like oh generic relationship dissolving problems and we're not supposed to really think about it a whole lot yeah i mean i feel like they, they demonstrate well enough at least that that john and Char- like john is just kind of flippant and uncaring but then, like, how did the, the idea that, like, how did they end up together in the first place? How did they end up getting reaching a place where they can get married? But this is how he, like, acts generally, right? Yeah. I One thing that I do wonder about him is whether he was always like that or whether his... Like, his work changed? Yeah, his work is, yeah, it's, like, getting to him or it's kind of consuming a lot of his time. And so he's spending a lot more time around people that are that way or what. Um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's again. I think that that's intentionally sort of left left vague. It's not a movie about John. It's a right, movie but about they do Charlotte, make the but... they make the case for that being the option with like the fact that he is the way he is being his work. 
Yeah. And like it very easily could have, he could have just recently become more successful or gotten more responsibility or, or this is the, you know, this thing and the stuff that he's doing in, in Tokyo is just particularly important. Yeah. And so he's acting so out of almost out of character, but to us, it's the only form of his character that we know. Yeah. That we know. And I think they do kind of leave up. It, it does seem like a little bit, I, I guess I say, as I literally just told a story about a time when I, my dad was traveling for work and I tagged along, but it, does seem like a little bit weird to go through all of that and like it's it doesn't seem like it's that he has to go work all the time that's the problem for charlotte it seems like she just really isn't thrilled with the person that he is when when he's doing this work it makes me wonder how much of that she usually sees i mean you definitely get the impression right that it's been it's been building for a while it's not just like out of nowhere suddenly john's kind of being a being an asshole and she feels like he's i don't know shallow and that the things that she used to really like about it or the levels where they used to connect maybe aren't there anymore, but it makes me wonder if it's, it's exacerbated there. Cause like the one thing we, the, the most significant clue we have as to like their, the state of their relationship is when she, at the beginning of the movie she calls her friend, right. Or a friend calls her and like the connection's bad, but she was like, I don't know. She's like, Oh yeah, I'm fine. I like, don't know who I married anymore. I don't know if he's like the same guy. It's just, just kind of like casual about it. But then she starts crying and then like her friend can't hear her and they just end up hanging up. Yeah. Um, but because we never see any, him do anything that's like really like, Oh yeah, that's like a problem thing. Like he does some sh- stuff that's like subtly kind of maybe annoying after if it's like a buildup in the relationship to that point where he does it all the time. But I don't know. I think we were really left to fill in the blanks. Probably like project a lot of our own shit onto it. Yeah. And he's kind of obnoxious with Kelly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one thing though, that I'm really excited about that we touched on a little bit at the end of wind up bird is when we get to the topic episode and we really like pull these all together. Like, I think that there, there are some of these where it feels like, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to get into this compared to wind up bird and if some of the reasons why they feel similar is because of the settings and some of the tone as opposed to the ways that they kind of get into that feeling of being isolated or alone um, and how they kind of compare in that way. But to spin into what we're going to talk about next time, I'm super excited to talk about both of these in comparison to Gone Home. Mm. Uh, which is a, just a wildly different brand, yeah. brand of, of solitude. We're going to be so much more cheerful for the Gone Home episode. Oh, so fucking excited. So much more cheerful than Gone Home itself, like, demands as a response. <laughs> like, <laughs> Gone Home is not cheerful. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and yeah, I guess, yeah, 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 I guess it kind of... We'll, we'll get we'll, there. We'll get, we'll get there. there. Oh, will we get there? Yeah. But for now, though... Uh, I don't know. I, I like Lost in Translation a lot. I, I not in that like, oh man, one of my favorite movies ever camp, but I don't know. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I appreciate it for what it is, and I think it it does what Sophia was trying to do um, pretty effectively. Turns out, twist, Sophia Coppola was just trying to make a movie where you really understand what's going on, and there's a really clear like progressive arc for the characters with a beginning, middle, and end, and no ambiguity whatsoever. <laughs> It was an utter failure, but <laughs> how great would that be? But the world Amazing. will never know. Uh, but yeah. All right. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go. Get out of here. Skedaddle. Turn off your phone. Shut down your MP3 player. We're done. Go. Stop. Movie's over. <laughs> Go home. <laughs> we should have ordered chimichangas. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Read, Watch, Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RWP Podcast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com. And look out for our game streams on Twitch at twitch.tv slash readwatchplay. Also, I feel like the subtitle of this podcast is Existential Horror. Yeah, every it's series like, we're we getting do. There. <laughs> we're getting there. I think it's just because we bring ourselves every time and we can't leave ourselves behind and we're always just con- 
completely filled with existential angst. Listen, since since we finished 999, I have just been playing the Zero Escape games, which just deal with consciousness, and it's keeping me in a bad place, is all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, just wait until I force you all to play Hattiful Boyfriend. Uh, I've played Hattiful Boyfriend. I played a bunch of it, but I my understanding is I've not gotten to the part that makes it like... you got to play the whole thing. Listen, yeah, I exactly. don't want to date pigeons. Pigeons are the well, best. you're in the minority here. Apparently. <laughs> racist against pigeons.